Businesses count on IT heroes to save the day every day. And whether you're going into your office or working from home, you need an integrated PC solution. You need the unrivaled built for business PC platform that gives you performance, security, manageability, and stability for your entire PC fleet. The Intel V Pro platform. It helps you take care of business and can remotely update, restore, and secure your PCs even if a system is outside of the firewall. Intel V Pro, built for what IT heroes do, built for business. No product can be absolutely secure. Learn more at intel.com slash IT heroes. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Do you want a career that meets you where you are and takes you where you want to go? Whatever your individual ambitions, motivations, and skills may be, discover your potential at Deloitte. Right along with purpose-driven teams and a difference-making culture. Be seen for who you are and celebrated for what you bring. Discover your impact at Deloitte. Learn more at Deloitte.com slash US slash Discover Careers. From CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Stay Tuned in Brief. I'm Preet Bharara. Today, we're going to tackle a common driver's nightmare that plagues cities across the U.S., the dreaded bumper-to-bumper traffic. It appears that there might be a light at the end of the tunnel, though it comes at a cost. In June, New York City got federal approval to implement a toll for accessing the busiest parts of Manhattan. The strategy is known as congestion pricing, and it aims to decrease traffic and pollution while funding improvements to mass transit. Congestion pricing is a staple in major cities worldwide, but New York's toll would be the first for the U.S. It isn't a novel idea. Former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg proposed this pricing in 2007, but it was swiftly dismissed by the state legislature. Now, with the policy back in play, the debate is reignited. Notably, New Jersey has sued the federal government, claiming the toll unfairly impacts Jersey residents and communities. The policy's implications are far-reaching, so joining me this week to delve into it is Professor Nick Klein of Cornell University. He specializes in transportation policy and planning. Professor Klein, welcome. Thanks for having me. So we should say at the outset, I believe, that in some shape or form, you are a proponent of congestion pricing. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's a fair, fair assessment. All right. So before we get to why that is and what the pros and cons are, what exactly is congestion pricing and what would be the proposal for New York City that might be a model for the rest of the country? So congestion pricing is simply paying an additional fee to account for congestion and to sort of discourage a small number of people from driving at a specific time. Um, it's essentially a toll, right, that you pay to enter an area. There's lots of different right. ways on to top of, it. But the, on top of whatever uh, tunnel or bridge or other tolls there might be. Uh, correct. Yeah. I mean, you can implement it in a small area. You can implement it in a big area. Um, this is a proposal to do it. Uh, implement a toll to enter Manhattan below 60th Street. Um, and I think the details are still being worked out, but it could be up to $23 if you come at peak time. One way I like to think about it is that we already pay if we would choose to drive into Manhattan. We just pay with our time, right? Having to wait for all the traffic and having to pay also for that unpredictability. Like we don't know exactly how long it'll take, even though Google Maps or Waze might give us uh, an assessment. We all, all know that it's often yeah. changing. <laughs> Not so reliable in New York City, in my experience. But so is the main purpose of congestion pricing to 
mitigate the effect on the climate, to improve sort of local smog? Is it to make it more sort of hospitable for pedestrians? Is it designed mostly to raise revenue for the local transportation authority, a combination of those things? How would you describe what the chief purpose is? So I think sort of theoretically, the purpose of congestion pricing is a way to address the problem of congestion, right? So congestion is what economists would call an externality, right? It's something that we're not paying for, but is an added cost that everyone has to pay, right? So when I drive on a highway, sort of I'm adding to the delay that everyone else has to pay and and the costs associated with that. Um, And so you know, there's lots of different ways to address with congestion. Most of them don't work. So adding more lanes to a highway um, just actually induces more people to drive and to um, come from different routes and different modes at different times. We can build lots of public transit. It doesn't do a great job of addressing persistent traffic congestion. I mean, we only have to look at cities like New York or elsewhere where there's great um, public transit service and also lots of traffic congestion. Um, And so, the best way to address traffic congestion that sort of economists and transportation um, planners and engineers have found is to charge more for it, to say that instead of paying with our time, we'll now pay a little bit more money. And the goal of it um, is to reduce congestion, and congestion itself has all sorts of problems associated, right? We know it, it costs us a lot of time and delay and unpredictability. It costs businesses money. And by also addressing this, we're reducing driving, which we know, um, you know, that added driving has all sorts of environmental problems, public health problems, whether it's crashes or um, air quality, dust from brakes and tires. Um, so there's a lot of different reasons why we might do it. In New York City, the impetus for it right now is to raise money for public transit and also to reduce congestion, right? That's sort of how it came to be. Is that a good public policy reason that you have a transportation authority that is not balancing its budget well, that we have to implement some further form of a tax to bring that budget up? Is it a good policy? I mean, I think the question is, you know, it's always all, all these policies are imperfect, right? Do I think it's a good outcome that we reduce driving and raise money for transit? Yes, I do. Um, so I'm very much support that. I think there is a little bit of ambiguity about sort of what is the specific goal of this congestion plan- planning program. An ideal sort of economist dream proposal would have a price that varies to the moment based right. on the level of congestion. Kind of the way um, Uber prices its cars. Exactly, exactly. Right, that you would have variable pricing. And there are some actually lanes, you know, what are called hot lanes, high occupancy toll lanes. There's one outside of DC and Virginia where you can go online and look at it. It's I 66, Interstate 66, um, and you can see what the price is um, any time of day. Um, I think they only charge one direction in the morning and the other direction in the evening. Um, and you can see what the price is, and it varies every day. And I often use this in my class. And we, you know, when we're talking about pricing, we look up the specific price at that time. And we'll track the price throughout the class period, you know, and it might go really high for a short period of time, um, and then it'll it'll go down much lower. Um, I think the average the other day when I looked was about four to nine dollars, but there might be times when it's super expensive. But that's not what's being implemented here. What's happening here, which is something that's obviously much more palatable, is a predictable. Um, set fee, um, which is what cities, uh, Stockholm, I believe, does, and London and Singapore. Um, they have specific fees, and you can sort of see the schedule, and it may vary by time, 
right? So it's lower in the evening and overnight. How does one arrive at the right dollar amount? How much is it whimsical, random, or subject to economic theory? So I think in this case, New York City case, if I'm correct, it's based on a target amount of revenue to raise. I'm going to ask that question again. Is, is, is that the right way to price it if you're thinking about the goods that you were trying to achieve? I mean, I think it'll have the same effect, right? It'll have a good yeah. effect. It may not be a perfect model, right? And so in my estimation, I would think that it's better to have something and to implement congestion pricing, which is so hard to implement. You know, it's been, people have been proposing it in New York City since the 1950s and 60s. And so I'd rather have a proposal that exists and, you know, starts being implemented and people get used to it. And I know and expect it should change over time, right? And if you look at examples of all the cities that have had it for a long time, you know, they're constantly changing who gets an exemption, they're changing what the rates are, they're changing what the times are, they're changing what the zone is, which makes sense. Like, we don't expect this to be the the amount people pay forever. By the way, is that revenue raise that's calculated to be, by some estimates, a billion dollars? Is that solely from from the $23 or whatever it is surcharge, or is it also from expected increased ridership of public transportation? I believe it's just from the revenue. And so you mentioned these other cities where congestion pricing has been a part of life for a while. What's been the evolution of the public's acceptance in places like Stockholm and elsewhere? So Stockholm is, a, is the great example, right, for this. Um, Stockholm had a new political regime that came into power, and they implemented a pilot congestion pricing program for six-month trial um, in 2006. And so, you know, people knew it was going to happen. Um, they could adjust their behavior when it happened, um, and then it was done. Um, and the public then voted. There was a public referendum, and they voted to reinstitute congestion pricing in 2007. And, you know, researchers have tracked uh, the evolution of acceptance over time, and you see that it doesn't change from everyone hating it to everyone loving it, but it does increase over time as people can see the benefits, right? They can see that, yes, I have to pay more, but in return, I know how long things are going to take to get places, and I have that, I sort of know that it'll be less congestion, and you can see the congestion. There's great videos of Stockholm where you can see sort of the entrances, the the bridges and tunnels into Stockholm, and you can see sort of before and after, and it's very visible how congestion changed at those times. And I expect similar things would happen, you know, in the bridges and tunnel entrances where we know, you know, if you're trying to go through the Holland Tunnel at rush hour, right, you know you're going to be have to wait yeah, a long time. I don't advise it. should that. be visible to change. Is New York City the best guinea pig for this in the U.S.? Yes. Why is that? New York City is a great place to implement congestion pricing in the U.S. because there are the best alternatives to driving. The transit system is far superior than uh, transit anywhere else in the U.S. And we also know that New Yorkers um, have the lowest rates of car ownership, so they rely on cars much less than than anywhere else, right? So you're going, you're you're implementing this service in the place where there are so many different transit options and different ways to get in to sort of address, you know, to get around this if you if you have the choice and can um, avoid driving into it. On the issue of equity, there are people who argue that it won't be equitable. Um, whether you, or not you agree with that argument, what is the position of people who say it's not so equitable? I mean, I think the classic argument is that they have some straw person, right, who is a low-income driver who drives into Manhattan, and they worry about the costs and burdens uh, that this imposes on these people. And is that a sizable population? Is that fair or is it not? 
I'm sure people will find, you know, I'm sure great reporters like you and your team can find people out there who uh, are going to be affected like this. But, you know, by and large, people who work in lower Manhattan who are low income or, you know, they are getting there by transit, by walking, by biking, right? They're, they're not driving there. Um, it's not that hard to look up the data and see that, you know, drivers who drive into Manhattan are disproportionately wealthy. Or they have subsidized parking and free parking, right? And they're they're already getting a lot of their driving paid for in some way or another. So how's this going to work for taxis? And I think the taxi industry is not happy about this. How's it going to work for taxis and Ubers and Lyfts? So right now, I believe the plan is that um, for hire vehicles, taxi, Uber, and Lyfts, you know, the vehicle will have to pay, or whoever is operating the vehicle, each vehicle will have a, a daily one-time fee that they pay to enter into the zone. It's not clear to me yet what that means for riders, you know, for people in an Uber. Right. I was, I was asking before the show, exactly. if I take an Uber in from Westchester, do I have to figure out how to make sure that I get an Uber that has already been in the city and paid its fee? <laughs> or I don't know how that was going to, how you game that. Right. There's going to be an option when you select a car. Do you want the XL version or do you want the, you know, already paid the toll version? Right. Um, I, my assumption is that they'll pass this on to the, these companies are find a way to to pass this on to to riders in some way or another or to drivers. You know, it's not clear to me that it'll that taxi drivers and Uber and Lyft drivers won't benefit from this. Right? It's quite possible that a lot of people will switch to taking a taxi that their ridership will go up um, and because compensate you know the congestion for will be lower. Right, that it'll be easier to take a taxi or an Uber or Lyft um, because you know you're it's going to be more worth your time now to do so because you'll be able to get places faster. Yeah. So, so I I am a New Yorker through and through, but I grew up in the great state of New Jersey, and the great state of New Jersey is fighting with the great state of New York about this congestion pricing, calling it a power grab or a money grab, and among other things, um, I think are arguing a legal challenge that, as we were discussing earlier, the money that's raised is all going to benefit a New York transit system. What do you make of the arguments from the folks in the Garden State? So I'm not going to get into the legal arguments because I feel like you're better suited to answer those you know, questions about how the legal standing than I am. But I don't think that New Jersey residents will not benefit, right? They are going to benefit. Drivers will benefit from having less congestion and more predictable driving experiences. And transit riders, people who take um, transit to from New Jersey into New York, will benefit when they ride transit in New York City. And lots of them do. Lots of them transfer. Um, better transit service is be- going to benefit everyone. Um, it's not just benefiting people who live in New York City. The MTA is the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, right? It's not just the Manhattan below 60th Street um, Transit Authority. So how is this going to work in practice? And I guess one question I have is, we've already talked about bridges and tunnels. If you're talking about the, the, you know, the entire city of New York, that's one thing. But if you're talking about Manhattan, it is an island. You can really only get to it by crossing a bridge or a tunnel from New Jersey or Westchester or somewhere else. And if you want to implement congestion pricing, why not just do some kind of increase of the tolls that already exist at the bridges and tunnels? So I think you could, and there are proposals out there to do this kind of program. We know that Manhattan is not uniform, right? That the sort of central business district is really below 60th Street and below, and that the bridges and tunnels are operated by different authorities. 
Um, so I think sort of from a programmatic perspective and a policy perspective, it's easier just to impose one entity that's now going to be in control of these specific bridges and tunnels and can set one toll for the whole area. It's a logistical reason, largely. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then also, you know, they'll have to add sort of uh, what they call gantries or sort of like readers where people, they have cameras and or easy pass to read um, license plates and easy pass readers um, along the avenues um, sort of that are at 60th Street. Are there going to be ways to game any system that's put in place? So for example, if the rule is if you travel below 60th Street from outside of the city, you get charged this fee. Some people have speculated that you're going to get a lot of cars double parked on 61st Street, and then people will so walk or take some effect. other. Yeah, is that is that? And also, by the way, relatedly, if people change their traffic patterns, are we going to get more pollution in places like the Bronx? How do you address those? I'll, I'll first address the spillover about pollution. Right, overall pollution is going to go down. And there already are cars backed up on 60th, uh, 60th Street or 61st Street right now, right? So I think congestion pricing will lower that. Will there be some people who decide to drive to 61st Street and park there, perhaps, or get dropped off there? You know, I think that's perhaps perhaps that's the case. I, I don't expect a, a huge surge in sort of Uber and Lyft drop-offs right outside of the entry point. I think there will be other ways the system is gamed. Um, we already have people who try to avoid paying tolls, right? This is not something new. You can read about it, um, whether it's people covering up their license plates in various ways. Um, that already happens, right? So I, exa- I expect that will continue. You know, there's always a cat and mouse game of people trying to avoid paying for tolls and parking. And I don't expect that to change anyway. Just because there's an additional toll, it'll probably become more people try and do that. If you're um, a listener, not in New York City, but living in some other urban area, which kind of listener in what kind of city is most likely to see congestion pricing next? So uh, there's been a lot of calls and, and discussion about congestion pricing in Los Angeles or in San Francisco, um, two places that are face just like New York City, really bad traffic congestion. I would not be surprised if either of those places have serious conversations about it and are probably waiting to see what happens in New York City, both in terms of the effects and the political acceptance. Thanks, Professor, for for all your insight, and uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. For more analysis of legal and political issues making the headlines, become a member of the Cafe Insider. Members get access to exclusive content, including the weekly podcast I host with former U.S. attorney Joyce Vance. Head to cafe.com slash insider to sign up for a trial. That's cafe.com slash insider. If you like what we do, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Every positive review helps new listeners find the show. Send me your questions about news, politics, and justice. Tweet them to me at Preet Bharara with the hashtag AskPreet. You can also now reach me on threads, or you can call and leave me a message at 669-247-7338. That's 669-24-PREET. Or you can send an email to letters at cafe.com. Stay Tuned is presented by Cafe and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tatashore. The senior producer is Adam Waller. The editorial producer is Noah Ozilai. And the Cafe team is Matthew Billy, David Kurlander, Jake Kaplan, Nat Wiener, Namata Shah, and Claudia Hernandez. Our music is by Andrew Dost. 
I'm your host, Preet Bharara. Stay tuned.